Good morning. This morning, <clears throat> I plan to turn to uh, the book of 2 Kings again. Turning to 2 Kings chapter 6. And this morning we'll be looking at two miracles that God did in, through the life of Elisha. Elisha was God's prophet, or his spokesperson. He was also known as the man of God during a time when the majority of the nation of Israel had rejected God, were going their own way. And through these miracles, God was revealing something about himself to his wayward people. So I want to be thinking about what, what do the miracles that are recorded in in the Bible, what, what do they tell us about God? I think God is revealing something about himself when there's a miracle. I want to start this morning with, uh, a little differently. I'd like to invite the children, any children who would like to come up for a children's story. You can come up here and sit on the, on the floor here in the middle. Anyone would like to come up? Come right ahead. And I'm going to, I've got a short story for you. So you can come on up now if you'd like to. If not, I'll try to hold it so you can see, but you probably can't see very well from back there. Come on up and find a seat. I'll sit right here. Okay, this story is taken from the, the book of 2 Kings, chapter 6, uh, that I'll be looking at today, or I'm looking at the first part of it today. This is from the first seven verses of 2 Kings, chapter 6. Actually, I remember my parents reading this, this story to me when I was your age. So, this is called The Borrowed Axe. Can you see the pictures from there? Okay, I'll try to pause between pages and make sure you can see. The boys of Prophet Elisha's school crowded closer together on their benches, trying to make room for the new pupils. But it was no use. There just wasn't room. The boy with the red coat we'll call Jared. Barefooted, Jared had walked many miles that he might attend Prophet Elisha's school where boys were taught to be teachers for God. But alas, the schoolhouse was far too small. Would Jared and the new pupils have to go home? When school let out, the boys talked together. What could they do about their too small school? One of the boys pointed toward the Jordan River. Let's take our axes and go to the river, he said, and cut down trees and build a larger school. It's a good idea, said an older boy, and let's ask Prophet Elisha to go with us. The other boys agreed, but Jared hung his head. He had no axe and no money to buy one. Could you not borrow an axe? asked an older boy. So Jared went to a neighbor's house and asked if he might borrow an axe. You may borrow my axe, said the neighbor, if you take good care of it. I will take good care of it, promised Jared. Very good care of it. <clears throat> One morning, when the sun was half up, the boys shouldered their axes and walked with Prophet Elisha down the trail to the River Jordan. 
The river wound in and out, in and out, like a snake wiggling through the valley. See it disappearing back here? Here and there on its banks were groves of trees, tall trees, short trees, crooked trees, and trees that were straight. Each boy chose a tree to cut down. Jared chose one near the river's edge. He swung his, the borrowed axe and made a cut. Again and again and again, he swung the axe with all his might. Pitchy piney chips flew this way and that. Then suddenly, without warning, the axe head flew off the axe handle. A plop, a splash, and it sank out of sight. Jared looked at where the axe head had fallen. But the water was too muddy to see it, and too deep to wade in and feel for it. Alas, master, for it was borrowed, he cried to the prophet Elisha. Where did it fall, the prophet Elisha asked. Jared showed him the place, and the prophet cut down a stick. Then asking God for help, he threw the stick into the river where the axe head had fallen. The boys watched to see what would happen. They saw the stick floating on the water, and then, up, 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 through the muddy water rose the axe head, up, 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 to the surface of the water, and there it floated beside the stick, like a toy boat on the river. Take it up, said the prophet Elisha. Joyfully, Jared reached out and took it. He fastened the axe head tightly to the axe handle and finished cutting down his tree. With a push and a pull, the boys dragged the the tree, the logs along the trail and split the logs into slabs the right size and built a new and larger school. Now the boys wouldn't be too crowded. There would be enough room for all. No one would have to go home. They could all stay at Prophet Elisha's school and learn to be teachers for God. Do axe heads normally float? No. They don't. They sink like a stone as the as the saying goes, <laughs> but God can do anything. Thank you for coming up. You can go back to your parents. I'm going to go ahead and read the first seven verses of 2 Kings chapter 6 that the story was just taken from. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, let me make one comment before I read here. Um, one thing I, I think that children's story misrepresented is I don't think these were small children. Um, maybe teenagers, I don't know. There may have been, I expect there were young men. Um, we know for sure that some of the sons of the prophets, as they were called, some of the sons of the prophets were married. So not small children anyway. Just wanted to mention that. And the sons of the prophets said to Elisha, See now, the place where we dwell with you is too small for us. Please let us go to the Jordan and let every man take a beam from there and let us make a place where we may dwell. So he answered, Go. Then one said, Please consent to go with your servants. And he answered, I will go. So we went with them, and when they came to the Jordan, they cut down trees. But as one was cutting down a tree, the iron axe head fell into the water, and he cried out and said, Alas, master, for it was borrowed. So the man of God said, Where did it fall? 
And he showed him the place. So he cut off a stick and threw it in there, and he made the iron float. Therefore he said, Pick it up for yourself. So he reached out his hand and took it. And a pause there. In Elisha's time, there were three schools for the sons of the prophets. They were located at Gilgal, Bethel, and Jericho. This, we're not told which location this takes place, but I think it's pretty safe to assume that it was in Jericho because Jericho was right next to the Jordan River. It wasn't far away, and they go to the Jordan for logs. So probably in Jericho, and in reading about Jericho and the Jordan River, I'm told that the Jordan River at Jericho is muddy, swift current, and deep compared to a lot of other places. You know, these young men, the sons of the prophet, as Scripture calls them, were probably, they had probably given up a lot to come and sit under Elisha's teaching. They apparently lived there and were taught by him. Um, they sat before him, as the King James says. These were men who had chosen to serve God. They wanted to become teachers. They, they had chosen to serve God during a time of national apostasy. As a whole, the nation had turned their back on God. And here were people who were stepping out and wanted to, to learn from Elisha. They wanted to serve God. You know, in, when the axe head flew off, Elisha could have said, don't worry, I'll ask each of your families to donate some money and we'll take the money and we'll buy a new axe head and we can take care of this. That's probably what I would have tended to do. But that's not what Elisha did. Directed by God, it was, he, he didn't take that route. It was, you know, it was an opportunity for God to show through Elisha, the man of God, that, number one, God cared about small, relatively small, personal things. And number two, that God would provide for those who chose to follow Him. Some commentators twist themselves into pretzels trying to explain what happened. I read one liberal commentator that uh, raised my blood pressure. <laughs> he was trying to say that Elisha took a stick. What really happened is Elisha took a stick and he poked around in the river until he hit something hard and got it through the hole and he picked up that axe head. Let me just say that is false. <laughs> um, I would rather believe what Israel's historian chose to record for us to see, we're told in, in the New Testament that what was written in the Old Testament was written for our learning, for our instruction, and we can see what God is like, what God can do. And I want to say this morning that causing an axe head to float in the water is a small thing for the God who created the universe. It is a very small thing. Now, you and I can't do that. We can't imagine it. We can't, 
We don't understand it, and I'm not going to attempt to explain it, except that I believe that is, it had happened exactly the way it's written here in Scripture, that the axe head bloated. <clears throat> say again that God can do anything, and God cares about one person's distress. This was a small thing in one sense, and yet, for this young man, it was a big thing. It was borrowed. He wanted to do the right thing and, and give back what he had borrowed. He was poor, and God provided. God cares about one person's distress. Not going to spend more time on that. I'd like to, to move on to verses 8 through 23. I'll just say right now, I don't intend to go to the end of this chapter today because the uh, 24, chapter 6, verse 24 through 7 is a, a different incident. And so uh, I'm gonna, I plan to stop at 23 today. <clears throat> Reading 2 Kings chapter 6, verses 8 through 24. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel. And he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there. And they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. And he led them to Samaria. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw. And there they were inside Samaria. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, You shall not kill them. 
Would you kill those you have taken captive with your sword and bow? Set food and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them. And after they ate and drank, he sent them away, and they went to their master. So the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. Fascinating account. <clears throat> Josephus, the Jewish historian, says that King Jehoram would regularly hunt in the Jordan Valley at the, uh, close to the border of Israel with Syria. And he would regularly go there. At that time, the Jordan Valley was heavily wooded, and it would have been good habitat for lion, bears, and all sorts of uh, animals. While the king of Israel was hunting animals, the king of Syria was hunting for King Jehoram. He wanted to kill him. And they were sending raiding bands into Israel regularly. The fact that they came as far south as Dothan tells us that the Syrians were definitely superior to Israel if they were invading that far inside Israelite territory at this time. <clears throat> you know, one thing I noticed in, in reading this in verse 12, when, when the king of Syria says to his servants, tell me which one of us is for the king of Israel? Who's the rat? Who's telling what, I, what I'm saying? And he says, no, but it's the prophet Elisha. People outside of Israel knew who the man of God was. They were aware of the things he could do that God did through him, I should say. How did they know? Was it through Naaman? I don't know that. It's just something that I wondered about. In the previous chapter, we read about Naaman the Syrian who was healed of his leprosy. Now, one thing I, I don't know if that's the case or not, because I have to take into account that these, these things are not listed chronologically. In fact, we know some of them are not in chronological order. So I don't know. But it's interesting to think maybe they knew about Elisha and what God did through him because of Naaman. But it's just an interesting thought. I also had to wonder if... Uh, if the king knew that what he said in his bedroom was known to Elisha, how did he think he could capture him? <laughs> he wasn't thinking that through real well to send this great army to capture him. Did he think God couldn't let Elisha know about that? Of course he could. Did he or not? I don't know. We're not told if Elisha knew that they were coming. We do know that Elisha knew what was around him. But we don't know if he had foreknowledge that they were coming. Doesn't really matter. So how did he think he could capture the man who knew what he said in his bedroom? Jumping to uh, in verse 15, when the servant of the man of God arose early and goes out, and here's an army. They're surrounding the city, and he says, what are we going to do? They're completely surrounded. 
Charles Pfeiffer said, Sight looks to appearances and fears, while faith, in verse 16, looks to God, and the soul is at peace. Let me repeat that. Charles Pfeiffer said, Sight looks to appearances and fears, while faith looks to God, and the soul is at peace. Elisha wasn't concerned. He wasn't rattled by what rattled this servant because he knew something. I don't know if uh, Elisha could physically see them before that or if it was by faith that he knew they were there. We're not told that. But he knew. And in verse 17, when God asked, when Elisha asked God to open his servant's eyes, he asked him to, to allow him to see spiritual realities that are not usually visible to our physical eyes. Things we can't usually see. And we're told that the mountain was full. The city of Dothan was, was up on a, on a mountain. And the mountain was full of God's army of chariots and horses of fire. Love picturing that. You've got the Syrians all the way out around, and they thought they've got the upper hand. But Elisha said there's more surrounding them. Psalm 68 and verse 17 says, The chariots of God are thousands upon thousands. We don't know how many there were, but enough to be more than what we're told was a great Syrian army. Psalm 34, I want to turn there and read four verses. Psalm 34, verses 4 to 7. I sought the Lord, and He heard me and delivered me from all my fears. They looked to Him and were radiant, and their faces were not ashamed. This poor man cried out, and the Lord heard him and saved him. Out of all his troubles, the angel of the Lord encamps around those, all around those who fear him and delivers them. You know, the miracle was not that God surrounded them with chariots of horses, with uh, chariots and horses of fire. If we fear him, I believe we're constantly surrounded. The miracle was that Elisha's servant was enabled to see them. He could see that they were there. It's an awareness I want to have. Now, I'd like to think briefly about what Scripture tells us about angels. I know this passage doesn't have the word angels in it. But here we have the army of God. And I'd like to think about angels just a bit about what Scripture tells us the majority of the books of the Bible, not all of them, mention angels. There's a handful that don't. But I intend to highlight only a few things about them that stood out to me in, in thinking about, in looking at what Scripture says about angels. You know, the, um, both the Hebrew and Greek words translated angel in our Bibles, they both mean messenger. They're God's messengers to us. I want to note a couple things about angels. 
One, angels are created beings. Psalm 148, verses 2 and 5 say, Praise Him, all His angels. Praise Him, all His hosts. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. Angels are created beings. Angels were present at creation. So they were created before creation. Job 38, verses 4 and 7 say, Where were you? This is God speaking to Job. After Job is questioning God, God says, Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Jumping down to verse 7, When the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy. Speaking of angels. Angels obey God's voice. Psalm 103, verses 20 and 21. Bless the Lord, you His angels, who excel in strength, who do His word. Heeding the voice of His Word. Bless the Lord, all you His hosts, you ministers of His who do His pleasure. So Here we see angels obey God. They are His servants who do His will. Jesus, we see a, a lot um, there about angels in Jesus' time here. Um, and Jesus talked a lot about angels. I'm going to turn quickly to a couple, four places where Jesus talked about angels. Uh, Luke 15 and verse 10. Actually, I'll just read. There's two other verses before that. It's the parable of the lost coin. This is Jesus speaking. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully for until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls her friends and neighbors together, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the peace which I lost. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Angels take note when I repent my sin and turn to God. And there is rejoicing in heaven by the angels. Do we ever think about that? That we're observed. That my actions, my decisions are watched. Of course, God is aware of them. And angels are aware. It might be good for me to ask myself, who will celebrate if I make this choice? Matthew 18. In verse 10. Jesus speaking again, he says, Take heed that you do not despise one of these little ones, for I say to you that in heaven their angels always see the face of my Father who is in heaven. Turning to Luke again, and chapter 16, verse 22. Looking at here, Jesus it's telling about a rich man and Lazarus. And coming down to verse 22, it says that the Lazarus, the beggar, died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man also died and was buried. I believe that when we have placed our trust in the Lord Jesus, 
at our death, we are carried by angels. <clears throat> Matthew 24, again, Jesus speaking, and he's talking about his second coming. And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. So angels are involved in gathering the saints, gathering those who love the Lord Jesus. Thinking about angels. We're also told that angels minister to the saints. Hebrews 1 and verse 14 says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit salvation? They serve us. Whether we see them or not, we are not aware of what all goes around us what all goes on around us that we can't see. Lastly, we are to worship God, not angels. In Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9, I just mentioned before I read that, I think angels are superior to us in many ways, and our natural response would be to want to worship an angel. Now, they also appear, have appeared, the Bible tells us, in human form. And people have been unaware that they entertained angels, kept angels, hosted angels at their house. So they can appear in human form as well. But in Revelation 22, verses 8 and 9, Now I, John, saw and heard these things, and when I heard and saw... I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel who showed me these things. Then he said to me, See that you do not do that, for I am your fellow servant, and of your brethren the prophets, and of those who keep the word of this book. Worship God. So we're to worship God, not angels. Angels are the servant of God and our fellow servants. <clears throat> you know, in thinking about angels, Satan is a is an angel. He's a created being, an angel who rebelled against God. He wants us to join him in worshiping anything but God. Satan wants our worship. But the angels, the, the holy angels, as I've just pointed out in Revelation, don't want to be worshiped. They say, no, worship God. Not me. But Satan wants our worship, in whatever form that is. Satan is doomed to an eternity in hell. And Satan is not omnipresent. He is not God's equal. God is omnipresent. He is everywhere at all times. Satan is not. And I take comfort in that fact. In thinking about what Elisha's servant saw, when his eyes, when God opened his eyes, he saw how does, how does the presence of God and being surrounded by angels affect how I view my life, how I view my circumstances. 
Does it change how I look at things? We are in God's presence everywhere at all times. And I need to remind myself of this truth in every circumstance. When I face fear, pain, temptation, failure, success, rejection, whatever I face, I need God in every circumstance. And God is with me in every circumstance. He is available whenever I turn to Him. Flipping back to 2 Kings again. You know, in verse 18, Elisha prayed, here he had prayed that God would open his servant's eyes to what was the reality of what was around them. And God did it. Then, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, the Syrians, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. I read that, and I stopped and read it again. It's unusual, according to the word of Elisha. Usually, I, I expect to see things happen, and Scripture says, according to the word of the Lord, it happened. But this time, it says, according to the word of Elisha. Because Elisha was living according to the word of the Lord, when Elisha prayed, the Lord did according to the word of Elisha. In verse 19, Elisha says to the Syrians, this is not the way, nor this is the city. Follow me and I'll take you to the man you're looking for. Well, I'd like to say that Elisha was vague but Elisha didn't lie. We think about it, the Syrians were hoping to capture Elisha. Why? Because he was telling the king of Israel their secrets. They couldn't set up an ambush. It did no good because they already knew they were going to be there. So they wanted Elisha to get him out of the way so they could kill the king of Israel. So the real target is the king of Israel. And Elisha says, I'll take you to the men you're seeking. And he leads them, blinded, right to the king of Israel, and then ask God to open their eyes. When their eyes are opened, they're surrounded. They thought they had the city of Dothan surrounded, and now they're in the capital of Israel, surrounded by Israeli military, I'm sure, <laughs> and the king is asking, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? He's ready. He's eager. He thinks he knows what should happen, but he's asking for permission. I think the king recognized that these were God's prisoners. He had done nothing to get them. He calls Elisha my father. It's a term of respect and it's recognizing his superior authority. You know, Elisha's instructions are to feed them and send them back to their master. That's not what the king expected. At a minimum, lock them up. Don't let them go back. These people are raiding our 
nation over and over. They've come in. Why would you feed them and do good to these guys? Do you know what they did last week? You know, he could have been thinking all kinds of things. But the king obeyed. We're told, if I can spot the verse now, verse 23, and he prepared a great feast for them. It was a great army. He prepared a great feast and fed his enemies. The, and then he sent them back. Some commentators say that the original wording implies that he also sent food with them for their journey. Not only fed them a great feast, but then sent more with them. Talk about doing good for evil. I'd like to turn to Romans chapter 12. I'm reminded of what the Apostle Paul said in Romans chapter 12. And I see I forgot to mark that. I'll get there. Romans chapter 12, I'm going to verses 19 to 21. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he, thirst, if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. When we realize that we are surrounded by God, it frees us to love our enemies. We no longer have to be uptight and worried about what's around us. Instead, we can rest in the fact that God surrounds us and we love our enemies, do good to them like Jesus taught us. Through these two miracles recorded in 2 Kings chapter 6, God was reminding His wayward people that He was still there, even if they ignored Him. He was still available, if only they would turn to Him. He showed that in personal and small personal ways, and in large, national, visible ways. He's there. Waiting. What about you and I today? You and I are surrounded by the presence of God all the time, everywhere. That can be a life-changing truth. Will I ignore God's presence and try to live my life on my own? Or will I turn to Him in faith and moment by moment walk with God in relationship with Him? Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for Your Word. Thank You for what's recorded there for us the mighty works that you have done. Lord, may we look to your word for direction on how to live. To know you 
Lord, I pray that you would help us to have eyes of faith, to look to you in faith, realizing we are always in your presence. And I thank you for that. May we walk each day, each moment with you so that when our time on this earth is over, it's not a big change aside from the wonderful new body, but we're still with you when our time here is finished. Would help us to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit as we go from here. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen.